So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Absolute pleasure to have Amanda on the show today. So Amanda Niber is a world-leading dietitian. She's also spoken, uh, this is called the TEDx conference. I always get confused what it's called, but it's basically like the leading world experts in specific fields. Um, and she does an amazing talk there. And I wanted to kick things off with something I actually found interesting when I looked at your Instagram profile straight away because it's something similar to what I say. I say, like clients listening to this will know, I say, don't eat like a dick. And you say, not eating like an arsehole. So uh, firstly, welcome and tell me a little bit more about that. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Basically, I think the same thing, you yeah. know, um, in terms of what our message is. And, you know, for me, I just find that people uh, fall into that all or nothing mindset. And really, it kind of turns into, you know, eating like an asshole. And for me, that means, you know, just not giving any care to what you're putting in your body. And typically, um, I will find myself eating like an asshole or I'll see my clients, you know, use that term when we feel off track, when we kind of fall off um, our habits, you know, when we uh, lack consistency and we just kind of give up. So it's like the number one thing, like don't ever give up, always do something. 100%. And I think one of the things I try and really push upon people is think about it from this perspective of having self-respect for yourself and due care and diligence for yourself is like from the outside it's very easy to see what you're doing but when you're in the moment of eating like a dick or eating like an arsehole or whatever you want to call it uh you're almost blinded by it I think if that makes sense yeah absolutely and you know I I always like to try to teach my clients the difference between you know a slip up and and an asshole you know because I think people are so hard on themselves Everybody thinks that you have to be perfect in order to be successful with health and wellness, in order to <clears throat> make progress with your health and wellness goals. But in reality, you just have to be consistent. So recognizing that, you know, if you find yourself into a box of donuts first thing in the morning, that event did not make or break your success. It's what you chose to do after that event that potentially will. And for some people, they can recognize that, yeah, that wasn't the best choice. It didn't align with my current health and wellness goals. So I'm going to do better at lunch and dinner. And for others, it, it turns into might as well. Might as well eat like an asshole for the rest of the day because I've already blown it. And I always say for some people, you know, if that happens on Friday, it turns into might as well eat like an asshole all weekend and start fresh on Monday. So um, one of the points that I made in my um, TED Talk presentation was your ability to learn to pivot, um, to learn to reset as soon as possible, as soon as that event occurs, is again, the, the um, ability to create the consistency you need to see success. And I think it's also people becoming self-aware enough to realize that it's their own conscious choice. Like it's your choice to decide how you're going to decide to deal with your own mistakes and short fallings in terms of the decision you've made and like whatever you've done in the past it's now your choice what you're going to do after that I think well I think a lot of people don't necessarily think like that I agree you know I I work with a lot of busy moms and um you know a, a lot of people right now especially with budgeting we have issues with food waste and, and I dealt with this um, I had a really hard time throwing food out. So if I hosted an event at my house, say like a holiday meal and everyone left all their desserts, 
I would have a really hard time throwing those out um, because it was wasteful. So I would eat them. And then I came to realize that I'm either going to waste it in my body or I'm going to waste it in the trash. And it kind of goes along with what you're saying. You know, when you realize that it's all about, you know, um, how you're fueling your body and the way that you want to feel, you can choose the way that you um, decide to waste that food, whether it be internally or externally. So I, I love that point. Yeah, I was just saying I like is um, not having the fuck it mentality. It's like where you've you've had one cookie, therefore you have to eat the entire like packet of cookies, if that makes sense. And and I think yeah. this is actually something I spoke like this is not an addiction I have, but I I very much like uh, cheesecakes from Cheesecake Factory. Anyone from the US will know what I'm talking about, and they're awesome. So I now live in Dubai, and they have the Cheesecake Factory here. So I, for example, this was an interesting point I thought for myself, my own self development, controlling food. Is I went and I ordered a cheesecake that I really didn't like. And I didn't just eat it for the sake of it. I had like a bit of it. And I was like, I don't really like this. I'm not eating it. And that for me, I was like, ah, that's interesting. Because that's self-control to know just because it's there, I'm not going to eat it. Uh, in particular, knowing it's probably like 2,000 calories or whatever it was. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people, like you said there, they would still eat the food for the sake of it almost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> your ability to enjoy um, a, a couple of bites and be satisfied, you know, is powerful. And, and I also love that mindset in terms of if I order something or, you know, something's put in front of me, or, you know, maybe I grab a cookie or I grab a donut and it's not as amazing as I expected it to be. And it's not fulfilling and bringing me immense joy. I'm not eating it. You know, I'm leaving it. I'm going to leave it on the plate. I'm going to throw it away because I really want to save those opportunities when I'm, you know, consuming discretionary foods, you know, foods that don't necessarily perfectly align with my health and wellness goals, but bring me joy. Um, I want to save those moments for, you know, the Cheesecake Factory, yeah. which is the best, you know, cheesecake on the planet um, versus wasting it on something that is just not even that desirable. And I think that's where people, when they understand this, they then truly find balance because they can actually really have the things they want when they want to have them and not feel like they're going without. So it's interesting. I was sitting on the plane last week and I just like to watch people. And this woman was overweight and I was just watching what she was eating and what she was drinking and everything they gave her, she ate like dessert, three course meal, whatever. And I was like, and part of me thought in my head is like, do you even really want that? Like... Um, and the reality is she probably didn't. It was just put in front of her so she ate it. That's so true. You know, especially on airplanes, they pass out the, the pretzels and the cane, you know, the cookies and stuff. And and again, I, I think a lot of people just take it because, A, it's free. You know, you want to get the most for that flight. And then, um, you know, you're it's just boredom and mindless eating. In terms of improving your psychology and anyone listening to this psychology to overcome these sort of things, Obviously, self-awareness is a huge um, it, like topic around that. What, what would you suggest for those people in a practical terms? And how have you maybe worked with people previously to get them to that like eureka moment where they have maybe the same thing I did with a cheesecake where I didn't eat the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, um, people's inability to see long-term success is the all or nothing mindset. You know, right now we're in the time of year where everyone's all in. It's really easy to be focused and on track with your health and wellness goals in January because everybody is, you know, we've come out of the holidays where 
um, we all ate and drank like assholes and we feel like crap. And so January is kind of like our reset, you know, rolling into February. And, you know, people have to realize that if you're striving for ultimate perfection in all ways every day, you, you will fail. You know, there will be a moment in your life, there will be a scenario, um, an event that occurs that causes you not to be perfect. So, you know, my first tip is your ability to establish kind of this 80-20 lifestyle, recognizing that 80% of the time you're going to, you know, eat the foods that elevate your health, you know, do the workouts that get you the results that you want to see. And then 20% of the time, you're going to do whatever the heck you want. And I actually quantify that for my clients and tell them, let's say you're eating three meals a day, seven days a week, that's 21 meals. So each week, your goal is to make 17 meals align with your health and wellness goals. And then three to four meals a week, you have flexibility. You know, you can add those foods that you enjoy, but don't quite align with your health and wellness goals, um, alcohol, you know, sweets, um, you know, any other discretionary foods in order to give you balance. And once you realize that those three to four meals are not going to set you back, um, you, you have the ability to create that consistency. You know, again, that's my like key word. It's, it's all about, you know, doing the things consistently that make them, you know, that, that give you the best results. Uh, I would agree with that hundred percent. I think it's a twofold perspective where we live in a society where everyone wants a six week success and they try and be super perfect for two weeks and they almost get so anxious about it that that's why they can't actually stick to it. Whereas you said, like, the big thing is just being consistent for like a long period of time and eventually you will get there. And it's like the, the person who's frustrated because only losing one pound of body fat a week is like, okay, if you, that might sound slow, but if you're doing that for 52 weeks, that's 52 pounds. So it's like the, the story of the tortoise and the hare, really. You just have to be consistent and focus on being relentless rather than trying to burn yourself out in the first two, three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I agree, you know, that quick fix mentality is, is, you know, really hard. I mean, I think people have to experience that, you know, success and failure, you know, roller coaster um, a couple of times before they realize I can't continue to chase that quick fix model. And, and I always tell my clients, you know, um, two things, losing the weight is the easy part, keeping it off is the hard part, because when you're in weight loss mode, you have that constant um, affirmation that you're doing the right things. Like your hard work is paying off because you're seeing progress. You're getting leaner. You feel better. The scale is moving. But when you're in maintenance mode, you kind of have to work just as hard to stay there. And you have to be, you know, prepared for, um, you know, none of that feedback to keep you motivated and going because you're not going to see results. Your results is maintenance. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of key, num key to number one, you know, stop focusing so much on the finish line, focus on what it's going to take in order to, you know, stay at the finish line. And, and then number two, I also say, whatever you do to, to see success, to lose weight, you better be prepared to do to keep it off. And when you're looking for a lot of these quick fixes, you know, whether it be um, ultra restricted diets or, you know, liquid fasting programs and things like that, that's all great. You may see amazing results, but typically if you don't sustain that lifestyle, you know, you can't go back to, you know, your old ways, 
you're going to gain it back. So, you know, again, that's where the quick fix models, they never work in the long run. Yes, they may get you to your destination, but they are not going to keep you there. I'm going to give you an amazing example of this. So the, the NHS in the UK, the National Health Service, have just come up with a trial where they're giving everyone a, they're giving the people on it who lost a lot of the weight, they're giving them all they eat every day is soup and protein shakes, essentially. It's like, and these are people who are very overweight. And it's like, no shit, you're going to lose weight if you're just eating that. Yeah. But because right. these people were going from eating McDonald's and Burger King every day to eating soups and protein shakes. But then what's going to happen at the end of the three months, you and me both know in six months time, they're probably gained all the way back on and more. And they're in the same Plus. situation again. Because, yeah. And it's so obvious yeah. and so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And and again, it's, you know, your ability to live in real world situations. I mean, it, it'd be really easy to live on soup and protein shakes January, February, March. But, you know, summer comes around, you know, I'm in the U.S. Um, holidays come around. That's when, you know, those types of um that, that lifestyle is, is unsustainable. And, you know, that's my thing is like, it teaches you nothing. I'm really a proponent of nutritional awareness. You know, I think that people just don't realize how bad, you know, their food choices are. And when you teach people about the ability to read food labels, understand macronutrients, the balance between carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, it allows them to apply that to any scenario, any food group that they want to incorporate. Uh, my philosophy is at the end of the day, all foods fit. It's just creating that, you know, puzzle piece of, of how you're going to, you know, consume something that may be, you know, high in carbs, low in protein, and how you're going to balance that out in order to make your macros, you know, um, appropriate. I couldn't agree more with that. And something I found very refreshing because the last podcast guest who I had on, completely disagreed with me that in terms of I feel the root cause of issues of why for example obesity in the U.S. is climbing and generally globally is a lack of education and awareness whereas I think if people actually understand how foods work like the most basic thing in the world like if you consume more calories than you burn on a daily basis you will gain weight if people understand that concept and how that works they will then understand energy balance and then how to manage their own weight and she completely disagreed with me and said it was food addiction. You need to sort things out. I, I can agree where she's coming from. However, if people understand how to look after and maintain their bodies and become self-aware of that, then in my opinion, that's a gift that you will have for life because you will then understand how to make the scale up, go up and down as you need to. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, obviously there is um, a mental um, you know, component of all of this. Um, from the food we eat, which is hyper-processed and, and developed to elicit all of these emotional and, and physical responses to want us to make us want to eat more. But it is also, you know, about, again, I agree, the lack of awareness. I work with so many people that will come to me and say, Amanda, I eat clean, I eat organic, I eat, you know, I, I, I do this and that, like they think they're doing all the right things. But at the end of the day, all foods add up, you know? So regardless if you're eating, you know, the foods you're eating are perfectly clean and organic and, you know, not processed. It is about a, a caloric balance and it is about a macro management. You know, I, I agree with you. Caloric deficit is, is absolutely vital for weight loss. But I also think that 
It is the makeup of your macros within those calories that potentially matter more um, with regards to long-term success. I would agree with that completely. I, and I, I don't know if you would agree from this perspective, but either way, I always try and teach people in terms of like protein is almost like the master macro that most people probably struggle to get and that people need to have the most, of, not, not the most of, but this the key one to focus on. So as soon as you start to get that piece of the, the jigsaw, as I'll use your analogy, right, the other pieces tend to slot in together because... All into place. Yeah. And yeah. The yeah. Reason most people don't tend to be able to like initially struggle with the protein is because all the processed shit food people are eating like I don't know, ice cream uh, crisps or whatever you call them in the US, I'm not sure, like packets of like dips and Doritos and that sort of stuff. There is no protein in any of that. It's just refined carbohydrates and fats which together is like the worst combination for gaining weight. So as soon as you can get people into a higher protein diet, they'll be fuller for longer, therefore want to eat less anyway. And it's just, it almost just seems to fix everything else from there almost. Absolutely. And I do not like to call it a high protein diet because that's why people are avoiding protein. You it's, know, it's, I, I, it's relative high protein to whoever. No, it is relative. No. Yeah. And I totally get what you're saying, but, um, cause I have people that will do my program and they'll say, you know, what are the ramifications? I had a lady last night, what are the ramifications of this high protein diet? And I told her the ramifications are a better metabolism. You sleep better, you lose weight you're full and satisfied, your cravings go down. Those are the health ramifications. And this is not a high protein diet. This is a protein adequate diet. And protein is the most polarizing macronutrient. However, it is the most important macronutrient specifically for weight loss. Without adequate protein, you cannot burn fat. And, and here's the deal, I'm sure your listeners know this, but Protein is also the only macronutrient that you must consume on a daily basis. And not only make sure that you consume enough of it, you must adequately space it out throughout your day. So you can't eat 10 grams of protein at breakfast, 10 grams of protein at lunch, and then eat 80 grams of protein at dinner. It just doesn't work like that. So um, when you learn to optimize your protein intake, you know, getting enough of it, and you learn how to appropriately space it out, I totally agree with you. Everything else falls into place. You don't have to be ultra focused on carbohydrates and fats because they just naturally balance themselves out. Um, so, you know, protein is the missing link. And here in the US, you know, um, there's so much confusion with the consumption of protein, you know, basically people have a lot to say about where it should come from. You know, we should eat plant proteins. We should eat animal proteins. There's a lot of this misinformation about high protein diets, you know, ruin your kidneys, cause cancer, you know, things like that. So what I find is people are so confused with protein because of all the noise in the space that they just don't they just say I'm better off to not have it at all, and ultimately, um, hands down, it typically tends to be the missing link. Uh, the uh, so I, I just know I, I find it fascinating that people are so misinformed by protein and so concerned with it, and I almost find it ironic where I've had people, for example, come to me being concerned because the protein intake we maybe suggest and they think is too high, but yes, the the, the main cause of kidney issues is actually people having high blood pressure which is often from people and diabetes, being, which is from people being overweight and having poor insulin sensitivities. So it's like, this isn't a problem you really need to think about. Like you need to address the, the real, 
the devil in the room first. And then if you want to be super anal and critical, we can look at this over here, but like deal with the big low hanging problems first and then deal with the minute like specifics afterwards almost. And I think that's where a society, people almost go looking for the wrong things too quickly, even in terms of people worry about, I don't know, if they're going to use a protein supplement on a diet, they're paranoid about which one to get. And it's like, the reality doesn't make any difference. Just buy a decent yeah. brand. They're all pretty much the same. Whichever one you like, just get that. Like, it's the same. Yeah, I, I find that too. It's like people want to villainize healthy food. You know, like, oh, carrots are high in sugar and don't eat fruit and don't drink a protein shake. Yet we'll run through, you know, fast food, you know, seven days a week and not think, not bat an eye about it. So um, it, it's so uh, it's so interesting. You know, the minute you start to eat healthy, everyone has an opinion. But when you eat like an asshole, everyone's good. You know, nobody has anything to say about that. So um, yeah, again, and it just comes down to that nutritional awareness because um, again, people think that they're just, there's just so much noise in the space with regards to, you know, nutrition and what we should do um, that again, they end up doing nothing. And my goal with the clients that I work with is, as I tell them, I'm like, listen, my goal is foundational work. I want to work on the basics because you can't implement upper level nutritional strategies until your foundation is solid. So 100 percent uh to go on to a slightly different tangent uh looking at your instagram you've got kids i believe i do i have two kids yes um teenagers how have you educated so this is an interesting chunk. so i felt as uh growing up that i had a very poor education in terms of food and energy balance and pretty much everything we've already spoken about um how did you educate your children in terms of how to eat correctly and was there much guidance in terms of from a schooling side of things uh, to help them? Well, I will have to admit my kids eat like assholes every single day. So, <laughs> and I point that out to them, but you know, in reality, it's number one, leading by example, showing them, you know, I think when you're, when you're a parent that doesn't have healthy habits, then your kids, you know, see that as something as the norm. So, you know, always um, representing what I think is healthy eating, you know, first and foremost, um, I have a lot of, you know, just kind of little things that I do. For example, um, I feel like my house is my sanctuary. Um, I feel like we are so exposed to unhealthy choices outside of our home, whether it be the movie theater, school, the bowling out, you know, parties, whatever, that I don't keep a lot of junk food at the house. You know, if we're eating here, I try to provide a lot of variety and healthy choices um, so that we can limit, you know, those discretionary, those fun foods to more outside the home. Um, I am an exposure, you know, so from the very beginning, I'm all about exposure. Kids need, they, you can't give a child broccoli one time and then say, you know, yuck, I don't like it. And then never give it to them again. You know, kids need exposure of up to 10 to 15 times before they can really say, I don't like this. And so um, I'm of the mindset, even though I have a 13 and a 16 year old, I still put it on their plate. You know, even if I know that they're not going to eat it, they're going to be exposed to it. I never make them eat it. We never have like, you got to take one bite. But um, kids are, you know, defiant. And it will be the 25th time that you put that broccoli on their plate and you have said nothing about forcing them to eat it, that they will finally take a bite of it. And, you know, that's how it goes. 
Um, so exposure is really key. And then we talk a lot about macronutrients and balance, you know, um, I'm always hounding them. Like you've had no protein today. You know, my son's an athlete and I'm like, how do you expect to build, you know, muscle when you're not consuming any protein? So emphasizing, you know, what's important in diet, like where's your protein in this meal? Um, and, and teaching them, you know, about macronutrients, carbohydrates and sugars are what's going to run you down and, and, you know, give you lack of energy proteins, fats and fibers are going to fuel you up and, and make you feel better. So it's just like a constant conversation. Out of curiosity, do you help them have maybe more of a like structured way of eating? So say, for example, they generally eat the same things most days or say if like most breakfasts or something like that, for example. Absolutely. We do a lot of meal automation around here, really just for my sanity. You know, I know my kids are going to eat, you know, tacos. I know my, we love to do breakfast for dinner, you know, so there's a couple of meals that we consistently eat um, because everyone's happy. And then I'll throw in some variety here and there. Um, but again, I balance, I create their meals the same way I create my meals. You know, I start with, you know, their protein first, um, color, fiber, you know, second, and then, you know, healthy fats third. Uh, interesting topic you brought up there. So one of the things I always recommend to people, and I, I just ended up doing subconsciously, was like, when you're eating, I'd always try and eat protein first, then vegetables and then carbohydrates last, because protein is going to be the most filling. And then the fibrous vegetables, well, then obviously the volume is going to fill your stomach up. So then when you come to the carbohydrates, you're then not quite as hungry. So then when you eat those, you're, not, you're less likely to overindulge and they're probably the easiest to eat. Is that something you would generally recommend? Absolutely. And I have done a lot of CGM work, a continuous glucose monitoring. They're definitely gaining a lot of popularity. You wear kind of the device that tracks your blood sugar 24 seven. And it, you know, as you know, um, uh, insulin is the number one fat storing hormone in the body. So anytime we can manage our blood sugar levels, we're managing our insulin levels. Um, and that promotes weight loss, fat metabolism. And um, it has been researched and said over and over, if you sit down to steak and a baked potato, if you eat, uh, you know, even just four or five bites of the baked potato first, and then eat a couple of bites of your steak, your blood sugar will, you know, spike up. If you eat even just, again, four to five bites of your steak first and then eat your baked potato, your blood sugar response is reduced by up to 20 to 30%. So, you know, meal, um, how you eat your meal, the order in which you eat those macronutrients can have a huge impact on that blood sugar response. So always, regardless of what, you know, if you get a big bowl of pasta with some grilled chicken on it, absolutely eat half of that chicken before you dive into that pasta and you're gonna have a better blood sugar response. I think what people don't necessarily think about is the compounding effect of that small habit for a very long period of time. So say for example, you eat three, four meals a day, that's say 21 to 26 meals a week, whatever, like that for a couple of years makes a big difference when you're talking 20 to 30 percent difference in blood sugar levels huge i mean huge and ultimately you've really not changed anything in terms of what you eat you just change the order in which you eat it i think that's an excellent example in terms of how you can get your body to run more efficiently for you and actually allow your body to utilize the food you want to eat um something i'm a big uh 
fan of with clients, myself and people generally, is generally trying to push carbohydrates around when mainly they're going to work out or when they're going to need them. So for example, if you're going to work out in the afternoon, in the morning, I probably only have protein and fat meals because you're less like you don't really need the carbohydrates much and then keep them more around the workouts. Is that the sort of thing you would recommend for people? Because again, it helps with blood sugar levels. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a great strategy, especially for people that have, you know, significant goals in the gym. Um, I do, however, teach more of a balanced approach. You know, I think spacing your carbohydrates out throughout the day um, would be, would create better blood sugar control than kind of lumping them at one meal. However, you know, carbohydrates and fats are definitely that macronutrient carbohydrates, protein, I mean, carbohydrates, fats, and calories are the items that you can bank more um, than you can protein. You can never bank protein, you know? So um, it, you, it is flexible. If you're going to do an afternoon workout and you want to, you know, um, double your carbohydrate intake around that workout, obviously it's probably going to help you perform better in the gym and your body's going to utilize those um, carbohydrates faster. There was an interesting study that um, I saw again, back to like CGM and um, blood sugar response. And, and similar to like eating your protein first, it said, if you do 40 squats before your meal, you can improve your blood sugar response of that meal. Um, and, it, and we saw, I mean, I've taken hundreds of people through a, a month of a CGM and um, probably the biggest thing that we learned as a community is that simply taking a five to 10 minute walk after a meal significantly improved your blood sugar response. So um, absolutely any type of movement um, before and after a meal, the order in which you eat your macros at a meal. Um, like you said, over time, it's compounding. You know, those small percentages add up to big results. It's interesting what you said about the walking, because that's something I recommend for people who have digestive issues. So walking off the meals is one of the best things you can do if you've got slow digestion. And I think walking is one of the greatest things that people can do generally, even just for fat loss. And it's so overlooked and that most people like I would tell people to walk rather than run, because, for example, if you're 50 pounds overweight, you trying to go to, for a run for 10 minutes. So you're only you're not going to run very far politely. And also you end up just going to knackering your joints, which you can probably walk for an hour, relatively pain-free. You'll burn way more calories and you'll probably enjoy the experience more. And I think it comes almost as similar to what we're saying about the nutrition aspects is thinking about like sustainability rather than what you should do. Um, interesting question. There's something you brought up there made me think of. What's your opinion on uh, fasting? It was a question. It was the point you made about protein. Obviously you can't store it essentially by eating it all in one meal. What's your opinion on people do like the one meal a day diet, which I'm not a fan of. And like, um, yeah, well, I don't know if we've mentioned, I'm actually a registered dietitian. Mm. And um, in order to get your diploma, you have to put your hand on the diploma and say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So um, you may be surprised to hear me actually say that I love intermittent fasting. I'm not a fan of fasting, which uh, refers more to extended fasting. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, I think everyone should be fasting for at least 12 hours. And it's really interesting to look at people's meal patterns. And most people are only at digestive rest for 10 to eight hours, you know, throughout the night. We're eating really late, 10 or 11 at night. 
we're waking up really early, you know, five, 6 a.m. and starting to eat again. Um, so uh, number one, you know, a, a great goal is to start with a 12 hour fast. If you end dinner at 8 p.m., you have your first meal at 8 a.m. Um, but I do think that there's also tons of benefits in fasting for 14 to 16 hours. 16 hours is really where I feel like the max should be because of protein optimization. There's actually a study that just came out um, a couple of months ago that talked about um, protein utilization being greatest between 10 and 12, you know? So breaking your fast right around 10, between 10 and 12, making sure that you're getting that, you know, 30 to 50 grams of protein at that first meal can actually allow your body to utilize that protein more efficiently. So um, I love just that um, kind of smaller, the 16-8 type of fast. Um, but I will also tell my clients, if fasting causes you not to hit your protein, protein trumps fasting. And I think that that's a little bit where the message is being lost is, you know, people um, are just fasting for, you know, ever, you know, that one meal a day. And it initially, yeah, you're going to see great results. You're in a massive caloric deficit, but eventually it's going to wreck your metabolism. You know, um, protein optimization is going to be lost. You're going to lose muscle, you know, so um, again, it's really just kind of putting it all in context, context. So um, I always say protein optimization trumps fasting, but fasting is a great strategy to implement um, in, in your wellness belt. I couldn't agree more with pretty much all of that. I wasn't trying to lead you down a certain alleyway, but um, because for example, fasting, I think I'm a big fan of, but again, up to a certain point. So, and similar to the, the, the protein thing. So to give the example why, so for example, days where I'm not like weight training, where I'm not going to go to the gym, I won't eat, no, won't need to consume so much food because I haven't got the same energy expenditure. So on that day, I'll probably push my first meal back to maybe 11 o'clock, maybe sometimes 12, maybe later. And then I'm probably hitting that sort of 14, 16 hour fast you talk about. And generally, I'll probably try and do at least 11, 12 hours anyway, because I don't like to eat within two hours of waking up. Because again, like we aren't necessarily evolved to be consistently eating every two, three hours all the time. Like if we look back at when we're essentially cavemen, we weren't really designed to be doing that. Um, and I, I agree with you in terms of longer fast. I think once you go beyond 16 to 18 hours, it's a bit excessive. The only time I would ever do that is um, I'm a big fan of fasting when flying um, because it causes a huge amount of uh, like digestive distress, which most people don't realize. And also if someone's going on holiday, I think it's a great tactic for them to be able to quote unquote bank calories. And so for example, you're almost essentially losing a day's food. You might have an extra 2000 calories you can enjoy when you go on holiday that you've almost got in reserve, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I love extended fasting. You know, I think doing an extended fast once a week, once a month, you know, 24 hours plus is kind of what I consider a, an extended fast. Um, there's a lot of benefits to that, especially autophagy. That's why fasting is so popular right now, because in 2016, the Nobel Peace Prize was won for the discovery of autophagy. Um, autophagy is basically your body's ability to um, seek out dead, damaged, dysfunctional cells and get rid of them. So there's a lot of benefit to that. But to do it on a daily basis, um, I think the, the return on your investment is, is lacking for sure. I think it's a prime example of like things work, but you can't do them all the time. 
that exactly. makes it's the same as like working out more is not always better yeah and it's the same thing as well with like there's a saying I like it's like the devil's in the dose the same thing with basically everything we've spoken about in terms of consistency it's like you can have some cheesecake but you don't eat the entire cheesecake and it's like you can have right. one cookie but they're not the entire pack and i think it's people really learning and taking home like value from that i think is really really important right and just kind of circle back to where we started I always think that people eat like assholes after dinner or at dinner and beyond. So fasting is just, a, I think, a really great strategy to give you that kind of cutoff time. You know, um, most people are eating late at night because they're stressed. They're decompressing from their day. They're tired. They probably just need to go to bed. So sometimes saying, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat between 12 and eight or 11 and seven um, helps you to really kind of become aware of why are you looking for food at nine o'clock at night, you know? And then I always say, because I'm, I'm all about an intuitive eating eater. If, if you are hungry outside of your, you know, um, eating window, then um, you can eat, but you should be eating healthy choices. You know, typically at nine o'clock at night, I'm not craving an apple. I'm not craving carrots, you know, I'm craving something salty, something sweet. Um, and again, it's, it's not because I'm hungry. It's because I probably need to go to bed. I'm stressed, you know, those types of things. One of the things that it's become a bit of a guilty pleasure that I find I tend to like to have a bit of as like a treat when I like feeling hungry would be something like dark chocolate, for example, but a very high uh, percentage. So like 90% dark chocolate, which is obviously it's very high in polyphenols and also the being higher in fat hypothetically would make me feel fuller. Um, so I, I find almost because the dark chocolate is more bitter, it's less sugary. It's less almost addictive in terms of you wanting to like eat the entire bar, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love dark chocolate. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I love peanut butter. I, I love, you know, any of those things that will give you a little bit of that sweet taste, but also have some healthy macronutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals behind it. You know, when we talk about sugar, obviously, I think a lot of people struggle with sugar addiction, cravings of sugar. And um, I always tell my clients, your sugar cravings are a micronutrient issue, not a macronutrient. It's a vitamin and mineral issue. And if you're struggling with excessive sugar cravings, eat all the fruit, okay? Because I promise you're gonna eat an abundance of fruit to address that sugar craving, maybe for about four or five days. And then eventually your body is actually going to have received the micronutrients, specifically magnesium. If you crave chocolate, um, that's a really big sign of a magnesium deficiency. Um, so when you load up on, you know, sweet foods that also follow with fiber, vitamins and minerals, then all of a sudden, you know, after a couple of days, those cravings significantly are reduced. So um, fruit always gets a bad rap. You know, people are like, oh, fruit is bad for you. And yeah, I mean, I do think fruit in excessive amounts on a daily basis can um, hinder your progress, especially in the absence of proteins and fats. Um, but they can, it can be a great tool um, to help kind of reset your thinking around sugar cravings and, and reset that hunger. I also think if you want something as a sweet treat, I think fruit is like, I don't know, pineapple, for example, or even like watermelons, very low in calories, things like that, I think are very good options that you, to put, to eat a substantial amount of calories from watermelon would be quite an impressive feat, I think. Um, yeah. Whereas if you were, um, I always, I always say berries, anything with yeah. airy, 
um, blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, strawberry, cherries, they tend to be the lowest. Um, they have the lowest glycemic response. They're always the highest in fiber um, and they're always the richest in those micronutrients. So, 100%. To wrap things up, one last question. What would be your number one tip for someone to focus on in that maybe they could action in improving their psychology to stop them maybe self-sabotaging themselves? Because I think that's probably what a lot of people struggle with. You know, my tip, my three tips for breaking the all or nothing mindset, which we've talked about two of them already, is um, the 80-20 approach, you know, just really giving yourself grace and recognizing that you don't have to be perfect to be successful. Number two was breaking the might as well thinking, you know, recognizing that one meal does not make or break your success. Even one day does not make or break your success. It's what you choose to do after that event that potentially will. So your ability to learn to reset immediately is how you create that consistency. And the last thing is always do something. You know, right now in, in this space and at this time of the year, we're we're all doing everything. You know, we've got all, all the we're we're click checking all the boxes. Um, but there will be times in your life where you cannot check all the boxes, but you can never completely put your health and wellness on the back burner. So recognizing that your ability to wake up and commit to doing one thing, whether it be drinking lots of water, optimize, you know, getting plenty of protein, you know, taking more steps um, will make you, you know, better in the long run. Always aim for being 1% better each day. Some phenomenal advice to finish up on. Uh, for people to find out some more information about you, Amanda, where's the best place to reach out? I'm super active on social media. Amanda Nybert RD is my Instagram account. I have tons of YouTube videos. I'm on TikTok. Um, and then at my website, amandanybert.com. Awesome. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, I know everyone took tons and tons of value from this. Please make sure you leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe on the podcast. Head over and check out Amanda's social medias. I will get those and pop those below the show notes. And also, if you want to get a copy of my free 59 Fitness Smiths Guide to help you not make mistakes this year, you can hit the link below the episode and get, grab a free copy of that uh, straight away. And we'll see you in the next episode of The Shredder Show.